Thanks, Candy. Bye. Bye. Nice seeing you. <laughs> Got um, it. So, okay, you know, um, talking about that, um, it makes me immediately think about Norm MacDonald because, you know, Dave walking off the set and, and he had a certain way of pulling his jacket off. And we're talking about him taking his tie off um, and, 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 you know, just that, that, that energy that was there. And I don't even want to call it anger, frustration, and cantankerousness. It was a little bit of all of that. Um, the idea of him, you know, when Norm imitated him on, on SNL, um, you know, people can say whatever they want to say about the imitation. <laughs> but the one thing that I loved was when the sketch ended, it was many times going to commercial. That's how they had their natural out. And Norm would get up and he would force his jacket off the same way that Dave would. And, and uh, the love that Norm had for Dave, I thought was just um, exquisite. I'm a huge fan of the love that he had for Dave. Yes, and, it's, and it shows itself in the, in the observed details, even if they appear to be not complimentary. It's the way, like I always thought, Paul Schaefer was the most interesting combination of funny jokes about the ridiculous phony baloniness of show business, but you can tell he also loved it. There was oh, a yeah. kind of embrace at the same time there was a, a, a head shaking, eye rolling, isn't this absurd? Yeah, Norm, a very big fan of Dave's. He, he always, he kept telling me, I don't know why they think I can do impressions. I don't do impressions, but he did do a couple impressions pretty well. Um, some that he would just do around the, around the Netflix office. He would do Clint Eastwood and he would do, uh, 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 he could do some, he, oh, he loved doing William F. Buckley, which he weirdly shifted into once during, during um, an interview with Jane Fonda where weirdly, bizarrely, they touched on the fact that they both sort of have entertained the philosophical proposition of Jesus Christ as a important person in their life. And for some reason, Norm, who was sincere, but he started talking in a William F. Buckley voice and referring to Jesus as the pale Nazarene. Oh my and, God. Well, you could tell Jane Fonda was sort of uh, stunned, but as the interview progressed, you could tell that they were getting to to like each other more and more and more and more. And it ended with a a, a quite genuine uh, embrace. That that uh, that's one thing about like an hour long interview is that you can you can cover so much more ground and clear up so many more things than you can in a three minute panel followed by a four minute panel. Well, we'll get to that. I mean, I love that yeah. Dave's doing long form now, but I'll tell you that episode um, with Jane, uh, uh, you could, what you just said to me confirmed what me, the viewer, the very alert uh, viewer that was, you know, the recorder in my yeah. mind was really going on that because to me, I was fascinated by that, uh, that choice of guest. And, and, and to me, it felt like, it wasn't contrived that at the beginning of the uh, exchange, Jane was like Norm, not knowing what to make of Norm and almost like throwing him into the one category. And by the end, whether it was uh, just let's play along with this or it was genuine, borderline flirtation at the end of that episode. Yes, quite right. <laughs> it was, it was a, 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 to use the Hollywood uh, phrase, it was a journey. It was a little odyssey, a little a transition. But again, Norm could be quite mysterious, even to people that knew him for decades and decades. And that was some of the, the charm. Um, 
but also just a, 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 a an appreciator of Letterman and the Letterman uh, opus as oh, yeah. Well, and and I mean, I've I've referred to this a, a few times. We're going to get to late night, of course, um, uh, you know, and, and talk about some of the things that were. I guess I'm obligated to talk about the top 10 list. I have a couple of ways I think I can access you uh, and your uh, amazing information inside your cranial <laughs> dome in ways that maybe haven't been asked in the past. Um, I want to do that. But 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 uh, first, let's say this. The last six weeks of The Late Show, as far as I'm concerned, is the greatest six weeks of any television show in any run of history. Uh, it was the coda and the sum up of, of, of an amazing... Uh, career and body of work. Johnny, when he left, had his Bette Midler moment, that moment. I see that moment more than any other moment um, when, when, when people are doing Johnny career retrospectives and they get close to the end, the Bette Midler moment. There were two, as far as I'm concerned, that Dave had. Number one was Adam Sandler singing that song, um, which was tremendous. And, and uh, you know, I'd much rather that for Dave than, than pick whoever other than maybe Darlene Love uh you know that was that was amazing but then the other one was Norm's last stand-up set which I for me when you look at clean stand-up sets on a talk show might be the greatest set ever and 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 uh I remember when when Norm was on on Jerry's show um they got in the car and uh maybe they were at the yeah. maybe they're at the table the coffee. The yeah maybe they're at the diner already and Jerry said oh well, it looked like you worked pretty hard on that last 10 minute set you did on Letterman and Norm was like you're goddamn right I did and you could tell um the legend is that he was in the in the in the theater all day preparing for that last um that last little run i've heard a couple other little inside stories um did you and norm talk about that before he went on yes, or we, was that you did yes okay. though i had though i had nothing to do with his stand-up performance though i admired the fact that he chose to quote a stand-up joke from letterman that he yeah. so loved i thought that was a unique bit in fact i should point out now you say the six greatest weeks in television i was not there i had nothing to do with it thank you uh no, uh, in fact, uh, on your podcast, you uh, uh, there's a lot of people that I don't know because they sure. they came after 1996 or so. But um, I, I knew Norm, like Letterman, was full of contrasts and paradoxes and contradictions. And one was this superficial seeming casualness, you know, that he wore sweatpants mm. and and the same hoodie, you know, all the time. But when he had to prepare something or think about something or lay something out or do a stand-up, uh, uh, because I did see him do stand-up live a, a, a number of times. And I was always struck how he knew what he was doing and he had plotted it all out and he did it the way he wanted. Um, yep. So he was super uh, hard worker and devoted to his uh, art and craft in that way. Um, making it look like though he was making it up as he went along. Like that's the thing. Like it was so it, like it came full circle. Well, you know? isn't that the isn't that the whole isn't that the whole uh, 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 trick of stand up? Like yeah. oh, on my way to the uh, club tonight, I passed it. You know, like come on. They're magicians. Um, um, I can't let something you said go uh, without a retort, and it's it's because yeah, okay, you weren't there the last six weeks. I get it. <laughs> I was um, I was just kidding you. I just was well, like, no. Oh, I had nothing. Uh, to do with I this. yeah, except for okay um that's like saying the guy who built the bottom four rows of the pyramid had nothing to do with the tip of the pyramid at the very top i mean yes. i mean i can't i can't i can't but, let that pitch go by without at least 
saying that to, to, to say, and the bottom of the pyramid um, is the thing, the base of what it is that you guys did. You guys changed broadcasting forever. You busted the fourth wall. You did all these amazing things. Hey, listen, I'm going to do my very best not to compliment you. Um, however, uh, you're doing a terrible job. I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm eating it right now. Um, no, I, I do uh, appreciate it. I do appreciate it. But again, there are so many people, uh, uh, I felt like I was like so fortunate to have followed and, and been around on a daily basis, Meryl Marco, who really yes. was the, uh, she, she was the, uh, she was the uh, uh, Egyptian overseer at the uh, base <laughs> of the uh, pyramids and Jim Downey. And well, actually all the writers, I, I, I just thought everyone in, in your twenties, you know, you think that was some golden age, but I've been on other writing staffs and they're all interesting and, and, and fun in their different way. But the, the Letterman group still seems to me to be a special golden group that was really trying to make each other laugh and do unusual things, not for any credit or groundbreaking thing, but just because they could and no one was yeah. bothering us too much from the network or anything. So um, yes, uh, we all, uh, stand on the uh, shoulders of giants so that we could see that uh, those last uh, four weeks, six weeks of the show. I did, um, I did get to come back and, and send in monologue jokes during the last year of the uh, uh, Letterman show, but I did not take part in the tail end. I have a odd um, career history. I came not in the very beginning of the show, but three yep. months in yep. and then stayed for 13 years. Yep. And then went back and forth for a little while and then was gone for 20. Yeah. And then um, sent in a bunch of jokes during the last during the last year. I um, love that. And I and that that's something I want to ask about. First off, did you get a $75 check for the ones that made air? <laughs> I think I was on a weekly stipend. Oh, but, good. <laughs> but it was weird after being, you know, a, a staff writer in the office 12 hours a day and then head writer there constantly. Uh, to, to be, they still use the term faxer. You're a faxer, yeah. even though the fax machine had been outmoded 20 years <laughs> earlier. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I still got, there were things I would donate for free and, they, and it's true for other, other writers and stuff too, but they, they've always been more than, more than uh, 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 conscientious about compensation. Letterman in particular, there were things I just said, oh, Dave, this is a favor. Yeah. But something would always show up a couple of, weeks later and I go, oh, I talked to Mary Barkley's assistant. You didn't have to do that. Oh. I feel like I got enough just from just from Dave and Merrill hiring me. That made a huge uh, difference in my life and was, again, I you've heard this from others. You'll hear it from me. I would have done it for nothing. I would have yep. paid them. I probably couldn't have done it for more than a week or so. But <laughs> you're, ta uh, you're, you're, you're talking to the right guy about uh, yeah. doing something for nothing and happily doing it. Like literally, you, you met my wife earlier before, uh, before we started here. I mean, I, I, thank goodness I've got her support because I want to pour everything I have into this. I'm not looking for anything except for to be a torchbearer for, you know, uh, my, I had a moment where my daughter-in-law, uh, she mentioned something, a piece of comedy that was borrowed from Dave uh, that you guys originated uh, in current <laughs> life. And I'm like, stop. And I sat her down in front of YouTube. I'm like, look what they were doing in the early 80s. Um, I want to be a torchbearer for this happily to do it for free. You mentioned Dave's generosity. I've heard so oh, yeah. many from so many people. Um, and and, and if, I gotta be careful how I say this because so many people about behind the scenes, Dave's generosity in all sorts of different arenas. And that's all I'm gonna say because they've also said, by the way, don't 
go too far down that path because he did it for the right reason. He did not do it for recognition. He did not, he, he brought in that, that Midwestern, like you said earlier, that Midwestern idea of fairness and what he thinks is fair. And, he and yeah, he's that guy. Yes, though, again, I, I may have used the terms uh, uh, complicated and uh, paradoxes and the contradictions <laughs> with Norm Macdonald. That would apply with Dave, too, because sure. he had he had a, a fussy and demanding and a tempestuous side. Mm-hmm. But there was always a kind of uh, idealism and uh, uh, and certainly in my dealings, uh, a straightness, I thought. So, uh, uh, yeah, uh, one of the greatest good privileges and breaks and pleasures of my life was working on that show. Um, getting to know Dave and Merrill foremost and, uh, uh, and, and then just uh, as good all, all the other writers and yeah. all the other staffers too. You've had uh, a number of people on that have done all kinds of different things from reception to, uh, to technical things yep. and that's sort of great. Yeah, no, those people, I really came to love them. I really, really came to love them. Uh, I have. I know how we're going to finish this episode. We're going to talk about your um, how you have treated others and your your relationship towards others and and things. But I'll I'll give a little bit of a preview while asking a, a question that hopefully will provide some insight. When you hear about Saturday Night Live um, and and some of the other places that where the writers' room. Um, and, and I've heard it a little bit about the different incarnations of Dave's show as well, where the writer's room can actually be a bit of a shark tank and there's competition and there's all sorts of yeah. things like that. At yeah. the beginning, you had the orphans from Lauren's SNL, a lot of them there, you know, young people, uh, you talk about Meryl, if you're a white whale for this show, she is the beautiful dolphin uh, that I would love to have on. <laughs> um, I'm a little uh, dizzy know. from the images. It's Hans <laughs> Christian Anderson meets Herman Melville or something. Oh, um, let's hey, take uh, my I, money. I, the, I'm in for that. <laughs> the, the, um, the competitive name. Well, there, first of all, there weren't that many, writing veterans on the show. Uh, Tom Gamble and Max Pross had yep. worked briefly at Saturday Night Live, and, but yep. they may have been the only ones that had any real TV credentials. I'd never done any television at all. I had done, I'd written greeting cards. I've written, I'd written a couple dozen newspaper and magazine articles, which I included in my submission and Merrill just said, oh, we never read those. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they took a lot of chances. They, 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 they turned down professionals, you know, people that had sent in, you know, had great portfolios, they worked on Mork and Mindy, you know, whatever. But they wanted people that didn't know the rules and 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 just wanted to sort of please themselves. And it wasn't because they meant to be trailblazers. They just wanted to, this was the sort of stuff that made them laugh. They wanted people that did things that were a little bit queer, a little bit conceptual, a yep. little bit askew. And, um, this is where Dave and Merrill had slightly different aesthetics, but they they combined very well. They each appreciated the absurd. Yes. Uh, Dave a little more on the verbal side, uh, Merrill a little more on the visual and the and the juxtaposition side, the surreal side, yeah. and that uh, that was a great combination. If you get some people that are that can write comedy, the the uh, Andy Breckman. I'm thinking of that first group of writers who I'm still friends with. We just took a wonderful trip to Iceland <laughs> and, and it was great to see all the volcanoes and glaciers and stuff, but mostly I was laughing at Andy Breckman and Tom Gamble and Sandy Gillis. They're still the funniest people in the world. Um, 
this delights everybody, by the way, the fact that that it was it, like we talk about it being a family, uh, especially at the end, because we've had some folks from late show more recently than than, than late night. I love yeah. hearing that there's different generations in the family and different, uh, you know, cousin groups of, of if you want to call it that, uh, that are still together, still doing that. That is that is delightful that you yes. are all linked up still. Yes, I think there's a kind of closeness at its worst. There's a, the, the closeness of the, the foxhole and the front line. You foxhole know, buddies, yes. Yeah, just because you've been through some, some hell together. Yes. But there's also a kind of the, the most beautiful of which is, which is you know what the person is capable of at their best. You've seen them at, 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 at tougher and weaker moments and still have fondness for them. And uh, yeah, that's a kind of basis for lifelong friendship. They don't... It, not always that way. Also, you have probably gotten the drift, and maybe this is only from super old timers like myself. It's now 40 years since I took the job. Yeah. Um, that that as the show got bigger and bigger and bigger and more successful and more successful, of course, it it grew a little less personal on the yeah. on the office front. You know, everything was uh, it, it's too simple to say it grew more corporate and more gigantic, but it definitely was a much larger uh, organization that had its own uh, you know inertias and 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 uh, and bureaucracies and so on it was a little simpler in the beginning and and yeah. for some reason you we could be a little lighter on our feet in that smaller studio with a smaller staff with a, but of course a an entertainer wants to reach their the, the most people they can Yes. And uh, Letterman certainly succeeded in that way and many others as well. Well, I, I mean, you think about it, the, uh, the the vantage from the bottom of the period, pyramid, if we're using that analogy for this episode, uh, you know, is very different from the top of the, the pyramid or even the mid part of the pyramid. Hey, like, you guys wait, had... Wait, 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 may I just interrupt you? Yes, of course. Because I don't know if the name Don Giller is going to appear anywhere in this interview, <laughs> but he would be able to find at a moment's notice uh, the evening when we actually built the pyramid of comedy on the show. Do you remember this program? Biff Henderson comes out dressed as, you know, Tahotep or Tutankhamen or something. And he lays down the bricks of comedy, five, four, three. I guess it was the, 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 the viewer mail night. So yep. letter number one was the first stage letter. No All right, you get it. You've yes, of course. Don will have that uh, uh, in your in your computer in about... 90 seconds oh yeah he's amazing and uh we're so grateful for any contact that we have with him along the way um now okay so okay i was gonna say something about the the vantage point and all that maybe i'll come back to it maybe i won't i i love this, this is jazz here as far as i'm concerned uh this goes back to there's a viewer mail segment uh a good friend of mine jay ryan um who's got the late night playset over in california he's actually got uh uh dave's former desk from late show he's got the stolen microphone i don't know if you were you, were you there for the oh, stolen no. microphone uh, no, tell me about this. Oh, uh, so, I, I do know there was a from the CBS show you're talking yeah, about. I know, they, yeah. I know they tossed a lot of crap very heartlessly into big dumpsters. Yes, and many of the even late late show staffers, uh, you know, did what they could to save some remnants yeah. of sentiment. But the but the, the CBS people, not Colbert, I don't think, but the CBS management, yes. they were they were uh, heartless bastards. About Beyond. This. 
beyond yeah. well uh, uh, some of us in the letterman community call it d-day dumpster day um but yeah i actually have one of the bridges uh, the smaller bridges that's going to be part of the new studio as we build this and 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 actually jay ryan the guy i was talking about is archiving where a lot of these pieces are um oh. and and uh is 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 doing a fine job at that but no when he stole the microphone it was a prankish impish 18 year old uh, thing that he did and he took Dave's microphone the one that followed it was originally Alan Parr um, and then it had, had been put on to uh, Dave's desk uh, at late <laughs> night and 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 they stole it from NBC and took it to CBS and and, and used it uh, there's a whole saga behind it you weren't there over it in, in, in for that I don't think um, no though I do remember at one point at NBC he had three microphones three functioning microphones uh, at his desk he liked yes. to cover the bases to make sure that they <laughs> also um, he did he did appreciate the the sort of retro look of some of them you know that looked oh, like yeah. they were from the Arthur Godfrey Fibber McGee and Molly kind of era Absolutely. of broadcasting I'll tell you this, I've been on the late night playset. I'll send you the links and everything after after the show here, but I've been on the late night playset as a guest and walking in and seeing that desk, first off, it's Dave's first late show desk, which for me, that's my high school years. I loved the transition over. I loved him becoming, again, vantage points from the pyramid. I loved as he was becoming powerful Dave and where he was bigger than the guest who was beside him and, and, and yes. all of that. I love the whole thing, of course. The but, man of affairs. Oh, <laughs> you know, the big, the, the big man behind the desk. Um, and, and so he's got that desk, the very first one, the one Bill Murray wrote Dave on. Um, and so there is like energy that comes off that. But the microphone, I mean, sitting down beside it and I, oh my God, you talk about an artifact that is priceless uh, in its history. Um, I'll hook it up. He's just in Toluca Lake. So, so you know, if, if, if ever you know of people, like I think about Jimmy Kimmel, uh, you know, we talked about his love for Dave, just sitting there and seeing that microphone and being in its presence, I feel the energy from it. Uh, or I have a severe mental illness that needs to get checked out. And, and so I'm not sure which is the case. I like it, the idea of the former. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about here. Jay Ryan. I think <laughs> these things can all be true at the same time. Oh, I love that idea. It could be a happy melange of uh, mental illness and passionate <laughs> devotion and uh, artistic uh, adherence and uh, worship. All I five. told you, Candy. He just he just said it that it's yeah. Anyway, um, that's good. This is good. This will be this will help out for some domestic issues at home. Um, by, no. the way, <laughs> by the way, like having gotten to know uh, hundreds of comedy writers over the decades, yeah. many of whom were male, increasingly female. Yes. But, it's pertinent as you sh shout to your spouse that many of them, it's an ongoing struggle with all the crap they want to hold on to with the wife because, you know, like, why do you need all these Star Wars collectibles on the mantelpiece? And why, you know, because comedy writers are mostly big, immature babies. They eat, they eat junk food and they're less and less as time goes by. They're, they've grown more attractive, more diverse and better balanced and Something's lost, but something's gained as well. Good Lord, Steve. It's like, a, you, just, like you just read my diary. Um, Jay Ryan. <laughs> Jay Ryan. I got to go back to Jay Ryan because we're going yes, back to viewer play, mail. The look play at the, set. Is that look at this. The, play, the late night play set. I'll send you all the information on that, but that's not what I'm talking about here. Jay Ryan asked me uh, one of his very, very favorite segments of all time um, on the show. Maybe one day you and him can can talk about this on the play set because he runs a talk show out of, out of his plays. It's, it's amazing. Called Cards and Comedy. It's like, it's like a Kramer 
with the Merv Griffin set. Well, you know that 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 that, <laughs> that joke has been made many times, except for the fact well, that when you see it, that's my line of work. <laughs> repeating jokes. Yes, um, but when you see it, it's like the love and meticulous. So, so when Jay was actually on an episode of our show, um, he was the Kathleen Anchors tribute show. And this is what I want to do. Wow. Like, I want one for Larry wow. Bud Melman. Good, I, good, want one, yes. I want one for all of these people. I, I've got Larry Bud Melman. I think you might even be the guy for to, to help tribute Larry Bud Melman. But, but Kathleen Anchors um, had connection with Jay when he was 16 years old. And he ran a talk show out of his high school auditorium. And, and um, she gave him so much of her time. And we just had an episode where, where you know, if there's anyone to, to, to uh, tribute Kathleen, it's Jay. And that's exactly what he did. Well, uh, well I, would, yeah. I would take part in that in an instant. She was so wonderful in a million ways. Even the most workaday things. I learned words from her. Like I remember <laughs> yeah, doing well, a I quick bet. drawing for some pre-tape where I go, I want one of them fancy plates that are like a couple of tears and those little tiny cakes on it. And she went, oh yes, pettifors. And I went, what? <laughs> she went, oh yes, pettifors. That's what they're called, dear. And- Pettifors, uh, not paramours. Uh, well, I, I like the- <laughs> syllable words that's uh, with the ivy league education um <laughs> she was so great by the way the set oh she did yes. beautiful things well and she did practical things well so 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 great um on the last day of the nbc set yes the one where your friend got the got the desk yeah she said stephen anything from the set you might like oh, and in fact there was only one thing that i really wanted because even then I was aware of how many bricks and, and boxes and things you could have in your home. But there was a couple of completely pointless books and objects on the bookshelves behind Dave. And one of them was this like 1922 odd volume of an encyclopedia that was like volume B just, and there was one color plate in the middle of the book with a bunch of, uh, um, um, nature pictures from nature and the title of it was plants that were unknown to your grandmother and i just thought what a weird category hey leave my grandmother out of it you don't know what no they were some kind of you know like luther burbank hybrids you know the 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 the, the you know weird berries yeah. and stuff that there had been developed it not Sperry Farm or something. Oh, this sensibility. Okay, so okay, here's where we yeah. go. I got I gotta stay on this particular one because I told Jay oh, I would yes. ask you about it. Course, Segment right. you were involved yeah. on screen. Um, and and let's just any memories. I'm just gonna set it up by giving you one little clue. Uh, Steve O'Donnell, I believe, dresses a police officer, saying, uh, "Please, sir, step away <laughs> from the desk," and uh, the desk being hauled away because of parking tickets. Does that ring a bell? Well, I was a cop about fifty times. In fact, uh, uh, again, near the end of the NBC run, Susan Hum, the, yes. the wonderful costume mistress, trying gave to get me her as well, trying to get her on the show me, as well, gave me my own policeman's uniform that had my name O'Donnell. Oh my pocket. God! Yes, Randy Cohen used to complain that I I never cast him as a cop, and I, <laughs> he 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 was right that I was probably stereotyping by using an Irish face. Um, Though Randy did get to play a lot of scientists and lawyers and experts and yeah, that, but did he get to keep the surgeons? <laughs> he, he 
multi-talented. Yeah, the office staff was used at different times mm -hmm. uh, uh, from obviously the stage hands and the technical crew and so on, but right down to the PAs. And sometimes there was some judicious, uh, uh, you know, uh, is it barrel rolling, back scratching, gerrymandering, sure. you know, like some All PA that was- yep some PA who was just about forced to move back to Iowa because they couldn't pay the rent. So we'd cast them in a couple of bits over a two week period and they would earn enough with the under five, $200 here, $600 there. Oh you know who was great God, about this? I, and I, don't know if I, just, ever... I love hearing that. Thank you for saying that. That is a really uh, yeah, nice I, little piece of info. Something much more uh, moving and, uh, uh, and uh, I don't think I've ever seen it mentioned, even though I'm not, I haven't exhaustively uh, read sure. Letterman lore, but Paul Schaefer, you know, they would play music in and out of the breaks, yep. uh, uh, bumper music. And yes. um, he went, when some uh, uh, musician was in a tough spot or needed dough, he would play their music. I can think of many examples, oh. but the one that comes to my mind was uh, uh, Sly you know, from Sly and the Family Sly and the Stone. Family Stone. Yes, and he would, and which was great music to play anyway. Sure. But Paul would go out of his way just to sort of like, mm, you know, without, you know, in a legitimate way, help out a, a fellow professional and an artist, you know. And I love hearing that. Yeah, that was sort of, that was a great thing. All, all unsung and all unacknowledged. Um, Another ship in the night that you passed along the way is a guy by the name of Eddie Brill. I'm not sure if you know who Eddie is. Uh, Eddie was yes, the warm -up. he did warm up for a while. We didn't we didn't overlap very much. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, but uh, when he was doing warm up, uh, this is when you know, of course, we're now in the uh, in the in the Sullivan Theater with the pomp and circumstance of everything, and it's a rock concert. It's literally a rock concert. The warm up <laughs> many times, Sly and the Family Stone danced to the music. Paul, oh, yeah. that was a mainstay. That would be played all the time. I mean, what way to get the energy of the crowd up with that song with that band? I mean, my God, well, uh, I there don't were know things they did. For uh, green onions i just go oh man or magic carpet ride yes or or, yes. or what was the vanilla fudge song uh, uh boy they did some things that were just Absolutely. lighter shade of pale just or just to hear uh, again too i'm so curmudgeonly that i preferred all the old ways back yeah. in the simple farm homestead yes sir uh, but it got very exciting as as paul's band got bigger and bigger with the horn section and everything and they were wonderful but i liked that tight little four Remember, you know, when they were like a garage band yep. and they just boom, boom, boom. Yep. Um, really, that was that was to me perfection. And as you've heard from many other people, part of that was dictated by Carson Productions when the yeah. show started up. Yeah, that they not they didn't want a big orchestra to compete with Doc Severinsen. They didn't want a long monologue to compete with. Uh, uh, Johnny's monologue. You've heard all this. You can go to the books. Yeah, and <laughs> yes, and we have. Um, so as a writer, you know, been given the choice between a great wide pasture uh, where anything is the limit uh, versus uh, a shoot where you are given parameters and it's now, okay, okay, tough guy, write your way out of this. What would you prefer? Oh, well, I, I, if I understand you properly, I'm going to, in a mealy mouth fashion, say both. I love uh -huh. sometimes getting parameters because you could show off like, yes. oh, you need it to be this and this with, you can't go here. Sometimes it'd be, um, it'd be interesting. I'll, I'll only cite an example from the Kimmel show because sure. it was quite an egregious, horrible week. The first few <laughs> years of the show, he would have a, a celebrity co-host for a whole week. 
Yes. It could be Mike Tyson, you know, something like that. Well, one week, oh my gosh, you're going to have to help me with the name. How could I possibly have forgotten the name of the Monica Lewinsky? Oh boy. Oh, I'm 67. Wow. A comedy uh, writer forgetting that name is very yeah. interesting. Yeah, I know. It'd be like forgetting uh, I've fallen and I can't get up. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Where's the beef? <laughs> but Exactly. All, all those cliches. But um, she yeah. co-hosted for a week. But here was our parameter. We could not mention Bill Clinton and any of that stuff. Can you Perfect. imagine a more... I what a great went, challenge. Like, what, so how do we... What? Anyway, I wrote a piece which according to Monica and her mother, who was very present for all the tapings, I bet they thought she was. it was the best, they thought it was the best comedy piece that anyone ever wrote for. But what it was, it was the last day of her co-hosting, never a mention of Clinton. Oh. And uh, Kimmel says, okay, we've had fun with our co-host Monica Lewinsky, but now it really, we're gonna throw open the audience to questions and we're just no holes barred. Anything anybody wants, go. When of course we had three staffers planted in three places. And the first one says, wait, wait, I there's something I gotta know because I don't think we've heard enough about this, but what are your plans for the future? <laughs> and she said, well, I'm gonna design handbags and uh, I've already got several out there and they're gonna be available at you know, Nordstrom or something. And the audience is going, blah, blah, blah. they can tell this is not good. <laughs> And then Kimmel says, okay, very good. Anyone else? And then there's a very fervent waving hand woman who goes up and goes, okay, look, come on. That's all well and good. Uh, what about, what about, what about like scarves and things like that? Might you consider designing some of those? And Monica would go like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I might do that. <laughs> and then finally, uh, 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 I think Mike White, I think was the name of the, the a black guy with a very vigorous style waves his hand and goes, what is this bullshit? Come on, what's all this talking about <laughs> yeah. stuff? Come on now, you got to tell us what we really want to know, which is what about accessories? <laughs> what about like lipstick containers? And what about coin purses? And, and uh, at that point, the audience got that they <laughs> had. But it was a parameter that you would just go, that's a terrible parameter, but if you can work with it. Of course, it's nice to have a, a wide range, like go do anything you want, but yeah. it's sort of like a, a, an artist, you know, you can say paint whatever you want, yes. but it's sometimes fun to say, I want you to paint, uh, paint something that has to do with uh, uh, an animal and a machine. Go, you know, yeah. and like, oh, they would like the challenge, you know, yep. like, oh, I'll wait till you see what I can do. You'll like this. Um, so I, 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 there, you may have had a much more simple and, uh, and reasonable premise in the question, which is, would I have liked a sort of small cultish college fan base show as opposed to a nationwide spectacular hit like it was Ed Sullivan uh, Sunday night itself? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I kind of in a uh, not uh, liberated and, and smart way like the cult part more than the gigantic part, but that's partly why I wasn't there for the second half of the, of the wonderful, uh, Letterman late night late show, uh, career and history. Uh, I, I, I fit more with the NBC show than the CBS show. Though I came and went at CBS a couple of times as well. All right, I'm talking too much. Go you're ahead. not. You're not. Um, there's a couple of writers, um, Jim Mulholland and Mike. 
I forget his, his his name, but they both wrote for Carson, and 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 I I kind of see you yes. having sort of a parallel to that <laughs> in the sense of you were there early on. You know, they they were there with Johnny doing their thing with Johnny and Dave, yeah. of course. You know, if there's anybody who continued the legacy of Johnny Carson, it's I, I the way I refer to it. I, we go back to the Godfather, as many men do. Um, you know, the, you got Don Vito and you got Michael. Uh, and, and I mean, you know, it's not a matter of who's better or whatever, but it's who do you like more and who, who has the older ways versus the new ways. I look at Davis Michael and, and um, you know, I think about the idea that Michael had a lot of dad's things that followed him along into his run uh if you want to call it a run and 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 you know i think about jim and mike coming over as writers from carson to help with monologue jokes and and things like that um you kind of did is the it same barry thing. is it barry and Mulholland? mike barry mike, mike barry uh yeah and yeah. and, and, this, and uh, those were names you heard all the time they weren't yeah. around the office that much they were no. again in that Faxer uh, stage, but they were they were uh, solid uh, uh, contributors for decades. Yeah. Yes, Barry and Mulholland. After Johnny, and and I think about you at the end, uh, you know, fa being a, a Faxer, um, and 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 it's kind of almost the same thing. The the, the holdover that, that from was the past entirely, is still a part of things. That was entirely a whim of Dave. In fact, many of my jobs have been at the whim of others. I think Kimmel hired me because I had worked at Letterman. So he just wanted someone around. I think that's why he hired Kellison. He just liked, I'm going to collect people, people yeah. who were at Letterman. And of course we had some, some experience, I guess that might've been pertinent to his uh, enterprise. But, yes. uh, 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 but, but, but writing for Dave in that last year, that was his idea. And again, I'm never sure whether that's because he likes me or he's tired of everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> Um, hey, there can are we, cycles. Can, can there we are do it? Well, absolutely. But if ever, whenever um, I have a conversation with Dave, I'm already kind of crafting how we're going to do it. I promise I'm not going to compliment him at all. You're not getting that treatment. I'm sorry. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things I want to ask him about is nostalgia, because I think that he has a, I've said this to another guest, I think he has a very interesting uh viewpoint on the word and what nostalgia actually is um and 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 the idea for him to me from everything that i've read and people i've talked to the idea of bringing you in in the last year uh to do whatever uh you contribute a little bit contribute a lot whatever that is to me that would fit in with what dave's definition of nostalgia is which might be a different yes. than the general populace well, I, 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 I should uh, rightly point out I didn't do that much. It was like <laughs> a little salt and pepper here and there. Sure. But I will say that, that um, Letterman does not seem a nostalgic person to me at all. Not sentimental exactly in that way, but he had certain appreciations. And one thing that did kind of blossom late uh, in the conversations we've had in the last year or two Yes. Uh, is he thinks about the first year or two of the show. A lot of it was just, we got to get through it. We got to get the show done. We got to blah, yep. blah, blah. But now he thinks back and thinks about some of the things we, we did there that were a little bit more weird and a little bit more strange and, you know, presented more of a kind of, you know, peculiar tableau. Yep. Uh, and he looks back and goes, oh, I kind of appreciate those more now than I did at the time. So sometimes it's like, you know, looking back at your childhood or your adolescence or whatever. So it, to that extent, I had seen a note of uh, nostalgia in him. And occasionally, if he was thinking about Indiana or, you know, uh, how about the comedy the store? Or, yeah. Uh, yes. And uh, Mitzi and her monkey fur jacket yep. and stuff like that. But yep. it was rarely, it wasn't 
usually nostalgic. It was more just him recalling the absurdity and the insanity mm. of it all. Um, uh, but uh, he has definitely grown reflective. Uh, I will, I'll have to watch more of the the the, uh, the the Netflix shows, both of them, yeah, and uh, savor him in new settings because he he's he's both the same and kind of mellowed at the same at the same time. So, well, that's evolution, um, right? Um, hey, listen, we're we're about kind of if there's a halfway point of the show, this could be it. Um, it might not be. Uh, hopefully, you know, uh, thank you for giving as much of your time as you have. Uh, can I do a really quick commercial? And can you be part of that yeah, commercial? Sure. Uh, awesome. Yeah. There's oh, nothing sure. better than having a spokesperson who doesn't know they're a spokesperson and is doing it okay. uh, for the money that we're we're paying currently. Uh, there's nothing better than that, folks. Hey, listen, have you uh, have you ever uh, had a late show with David Letterman piece of merchandise and it goes away like maybe this coffee mug and suddenly it's broken? Have you ever uh, had a hat? that has seen better days uh, and wanted to replace it, or even uh, one of these lovely Late Show with David Letterman t-shirts. Did you know that there's only one place? Ooh, yes. I mean, I mean, my goodness. Um, I certainly have. Did you know that there's only one place in the world uh, that I know of that you can get officially licensed David Letterman merchandise? <laughs> yeah, I do know where that is. Do you? Where? It's, it's, Steve O'Donnell, it's where is that place? It's Rupert's Hello Deli, right in the heart of Midtown. Your check is in the mail, sir. Uh, no, absolutely. The Hello Deli nestled within the, the beautiful womb of the Ed Sullivan Theater, but facing outward still, thank goodness, uh, is the Hello Deli. Go there if you live in New York or are visiting New York. Go see Rupert. I maintain that on average, there is no person that takes more pictures with people than Rupert G, and he's happy to do it. He is one of the kindest human beings you will ever meet. If you want any merchandise, go to hello-deli.com, hello and uh, Rupert will hand pack this so i believe with future technology you might even be able to get dna of rupert off whatever he sends you and uh save that dna so later on you can clone him and have your I, own i don't think that's rupert. a selling point but oh shoot okay that's your no business don't do that cloning thing never mind but do buy the merchandising thing it's the dna on the clothing i mean we just got done with the monocle oh lines, god so. that's a callback but that's an unintentional callback I will say I don't have a late night mug or a late night hat. What I do have is a lot of the t-shirts for interesting reasons. You would come in and be raining and you'd be soaking wet. I would just go to Lori Diamond's desk and go, Lori, can I get a t-shirt? And I'd put out a t-shirt. And eventually I'd have like 40 of them at home and it would be crazy. We, Lori um, is another another dream guest, of course. And, and we've got people oh who gosh. want me to ask her about her, uh, her dancing ability. Apparently, Lori Diamond oh, yes. is one of the most phenomenal dancers you'd ever she danced seen. Danced at the uh, Stork Club for a while, I believe. Yeah. A, a lot of the staffers had odd uh, uh, previous careers. Yeah. Um, uh, I had written greeting cards, and in my last week at the greeting card job, the executive in charge came and brought me into his office and shut the door and said, uh, uh, Steve, I know you have your heart set on going to New York and seeking your fortune. But I think if you stay here and keep going the way you're going, you could be the next Bob Hammerquist. And <laughs> yes, I had no idea who that was. It turns out he was like the top greeting card writer. The legend in the greeting I, card I, I community. Demured, I sure. demurred on that. And then, of course, foolishly told the story to Dave a year or two into our relationship, friendship, oh, co-worker yeah. status. 
Well, of course, he loved the name Hammerquist to begin with. He liked words that way. Yeah. But whenever I would disappoint him or fall short, and that would be often, he would go, well, <laughs> you're no Hammerquist. <laughs> oh, oh, see? <laughs> but come on, we would both laugh. This funny. is why we do the show. I love that. Yeah. Uh, okay, cards. Okay, I got a, I got a segue for that. Uh, do you remember the first time you met Shecky? Oh, yeah. I'm sure it was the first day of my first morning on the job. May uh, I attempt probably... to recall a different memory? Oh, did I meet him before I started working there? That doesn't well, seem likely. This seems like it could be a, a potential bone of contention. And uh, no, uh, there's nothing that a podcast loves more than that. Um, no, I, I'm going to ask the question. Oh, we've just had a power outage here. Thank goodness we're on a laptop. Can you still hear me? Oh, no. Did I just lose everything? Oh, my gosh. Are you still there? I'm going to text Steve right now. Overcoat and underpants.